a mother who decided that she wanted to commit suicide but did not want to leave her children alone. Uh, felt that her children needed a mom and she really loved her children. So she decided to take them to the river and she shot each one of them one at a time and then she shot herself. And so when I got a call, I knew that there was at least a child and an adult that was found on a riverbank. Uh, what I did not know until I got there was that there was three children, ages eight, six, and three, all dead on a riverbank and then mom was dead beside them. So you could imagine walking over a hill and seeing these four bodies. Go law enforcement. Go law enforcement. Go law enforcement. Go law enforcement. The podcast that makes your law enforcement dreams happen. Welcome to the Go Law Enforcement podcast brought to you by GoLawEnforcement.com. I'm your host, Joe Lebowski. If you're looking for a job in law enforcement, GoLawEnforcement.com has the largest listing of law enforcement job openings. To help you get that law enforcement job, we've put together a special guide for you. Seven inside tips to get a law enforcement job fast. You can get the guide for free just by going to JobTipsNow.com. That's JobTipsNow.com. Darren Dake has 30 years of experience in the field of law enforcement and death investigations. In this episode of the Go Law Enforcement podcast, Darren talks about the role of a death investigator in a homicide case or suspicious death, how bodies decompose and the clues that decomposition can provide to the death investigator, and some of the unfortunate ways in which people die. Darren Dake, thank you for being on the Go Law Enforcement podcast. Well, hey, Joe. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm honored to be on your podcast. It's a very well-received show, and it's my privilege to be on. And you are a death investigator. Yes, Joe, that's right. I am a death investigator. I work with the coroner's office, but also with the sheriff's department. Uh, I have done that for, for many, many years, and death investigation has kind of been my specialty, both with the coroner's office and with the sheriff's department, because I find that interesting and am able to do that type of work. And how did you get into the specialty of death investigations? Well, you know, Joe, how I got into this specialty was that I found it interesting and started in law enforcement many, many years ago, went through the ranks as a patrol officer, um, became sergeant and then lieutenant and detective. And as a detective, I found that I enjoyed the death investigation role a whole lot more than property crimes. And in my particular situation, I found that I could work sex offense cases and death cases a lot uh, better than some of the other guys, and it didn't bother me as much as a lot of the other guys dealing with dead bodies and things like that. So I just kind of naturally gravitated toward the specialty of death investigation uh, because I find it interesting. I like to get answers for the family, and of course, uh, nothing's a bigger case than a homicide or a suspicious death. So because I can handle it and I enjoy the puzzle and the investigation side, I've just naturally went that direction. So what exactly is the role of a death investigator? So the role of a death investigator can be different depending on the agency that you're with. So you've got um, 
a coroner and the coroner investigators. Again, they investigate all death that occurs within their jurisdiction that falls under certain criteria. Uh, same if they're an investigator for the medical examiner's office. Again, they are responsible for those deaths. And coroners and medical examiner investigators primarily deal with the body, the evidence on and or around the body. Now, there's also death investigators that work for police departments and things like that, that they may be medical legal death investigators, which also work with the body. Uh, but then they can also be investigators that continue on with not only the evidence, but with finding suspects, interviewing witnesses, things like that. So it's kind of a dual role. And across America, there are a lot of differences depending on the state, the agencies and things like that. So the exact role of a death investigator is a little bit hard to spell out, except that there's always a dead body involved. And the person involved in the investigation is specifically responsible for that body and the evidence that that body can contain and the answers that it can give. What agencies actually employ death investigators? Well, the primary agencies that employ death investigators, again, are, are coroners and medical examiners. But again, police departments, certainly the bigger departments will employ uh, death investigators as part of their detective division. Some of the detectives are, are responsible for the investigation side, but they also have some that are just medical legal death investigators. So you do have a well-rounded amount of agencies that employ, employ death investigators, primarily medical examiners and coroners, but of course also police agencies as well. And people die in all sorts of different ways. In your death investigations, what are some of the ways that people have died? Yeah, Joe, you know, you're right. The people do die in all sorts of ways. And I know we've seen those shows on TV where 101 ways to die and things like that. But some of it can be uh, interesting. I don't want to say funny because I don't think any death is necessarily funny. There's a loved one involved in it. But, you know, you've got these situations where um, people are drunk and they try to swallow fish. You see that on TV. Well, that actually happened in our county. Uh, we also have people that have uh, fell into concrete trucks. We have people that have done, died in ways that the jumping between buildings, doing things that are very dangerous and that they have died and caused some really weird ways that they've died. Now, are there certain circumstances or, or scenes that make a death investigation particularly challenging? You know, Joe, I guess the, the scenes that involve children would probably be the most difficult type of investigation simply because it involves children. Uh, the more gruesome it is, I guess, or, or the more damage is done to the child or in the way the child was died, that certainly can cause uh, a lot of difficulties because it's an emotional issue. It's not necessarily uh, the scene itself or the, the physical part of the job. It's the emotional issues. Uh, but then besides that, I guess another thing that makes a difficulty is like houses where people are hoarders because it's hard to get into those places. It's hard to determine what is might be evidence and what is just simply trash from the hoarder. If you have a decomposition case where the person has been dead for a while, they're decomposing in July in a mobile home, it's it's extremely hard to take that type of, of smell. Uh, and, of course, I'm used to it over the years, but it does make it difficult because on some cases you have to put masks and PPE gear on, and that makes it harder. Are there certain myths that the public or even law enforcement has about investigating a death? Well, yeah, I don't. a lot of people will think that after someone's dead, they can set up or or they move in some way. Um, of course, all of that all of that is false. Um, I, don't, I don't know really what any other myths the public has, but that uh, that's one I've heard a lot of of where uh, somebody would set up on an autopsy table or something, and that just doesn't happen. 
Have you ever had a death investigation where at first glance everything pointed in one direction, but once you actually got into it and started your investigation, it went in a totally opposite direction? Oh, yeah. A lot of times, actually. I mean, when we go into a scene, there's always that where you've been told, let's say, that it's a suicide. And so we got to be really careful not to listen to what people tell us or what even what dispatch tells us, because there's a lot of cases that you go into that might look like it's an obvious, let's say, suicide. But as you get into the investigation, you realize that it isn't a suicide, and here are the reasons why. You always have to go into a death investigation with a blank palette, so to speak, and then paint from there, because if you go in with preconceived ideas— uh, that's how cases gets messed up, and that's how people go to prison wrongly convicted. Do family or friends ever try to, let's say somebody does commit suicide, they don't want that to be the cause of death, so they try to push you in a different direction? Oh, yes, a lot of times. No family wants their loved one to have committed suicide. And in fact, uh, a lot of times they'll resist your ruling of suicide. I mean, they, they won't accept the fact that, that, that dad killed himself. It's always going to be uh, that someone murdered him or it was an accident. And so sometimes people even alter scenes or uh, cut people down or, or, you know, hide notes and things like that um, just to, to make it look like something other than a suicide because there's a lot of stigma attached to that. In reading some of the, the writings that you've done, you mention and you describe how a decomposing body goes through four stages. Can you kind of talk about what those stages are that the decomposing body goes through and what happens? Well, of course, the first stage is going to be the decomposition process starts uh, where the lividity will start to settle. And lividity is a pooling of the blood. So, of course, uh, it will be the gravitational pull of the blood. And that causes the skin to turn kind of a red maroon color. Uh, of course, also then rigor mortis sets in. Rigor mortis is a stiffening of the muscles. And some something uh, people often misunderstand is they think rigor mortis actually starts in the jaw and the fingers and things like that. It doesn't. It starts throughout the body equally. Uh, but the jaws and the fingers and stuff, you notice it quicker because they're smaller, uh, smaller muscles and things like that. Um, then after about 24 to 36 hours, depending on certain circumstances, the rigor mortis will go away and then it'll never return. Uh, and then the body will continue to break down until it gets into uh, a real putrefaction factor where um, it's marbleized and, and you can see some green in the belly and things like that. And from that point, from there, it'll go into, it'll either totally decompose, but depending on the weather and, and the atmosphere and things like that, it might actually also mummify a little bit the skin and things like that may mummify if you're in if you're in like a cool area up in the mountains, things like that. Uh, eventually, however, it'll go to the point of skeletonization where all you have is a skeleton. And then, of course, from there, it's years for that to go away. I have to believe that the odor is, is quite something with a decomposing body. What what role does odor play in in affecting your investigation or, or how you do your investigation? Well, number one, it stinks. That goes without saying. Um, but you get used to it. And there, there's a lot of death investigations that I've worked where the odor has been so bad that the people who have helped me are, are vomiting their mask or something like that. And it doesn't seem to affect me as much anymore because it's one of those smells you get used to. But if you're in certain closed-in spaces and you can't get any airflow, obviously it becomes so strong within that area that it does make it hard to breathe. 
not that it's affecting you necessarily um, physically, as long as you've got a mask on or whatever, but it just makes it hard to breathe because of the odor. So you need to air that out. Um, the biggest thing, I guess, is if you're not used to it, staying in close proximity to the body long enough to do the job that you have to do. And some investigators have to go out for a while, get some fresh air, and come back in. And that's perfectly okay because the body does have a natural gag reflex. And so if it starts to happen, go out, come back in. When you're dealing with a particularly gruesome death scene, do you ever say to yourself, either on the one hand, what am I doing here? Or you say, this is actually really interesting. I guess I have to say this is really interesting. I don't think I've ever gotten to the point where I say, oh, man, what am I doing here? Um, I enjoy it. I, I don't enjoy the fact that someone's loved one has died or even if it's horrific. And I have seen some horrific incidents that, that only you could describe on television. But, but um, you know, I find it interesting because I want to get the answers for the family. The family wants the answers. My job is to get them the answers. Can you kind of talk through a case step-by-step step that highlights your work as a death investigator? Well, certainly. There's one of them that come to mind. There's a, a mother who decided that she wanted to commit suicide but did not want to leave her children alone, uh, felt that her children needed a mom, and she really loved her children. So she decided to take them to the river, and she shot each one of them one at a time, and then she shot herself. And so when I got a call, I knew that there was at least – a child and an adult that was found on a riverbank. Uh, what I did not know until I got there was that there was three children, ages eight, six, and three, all dead on a riverbank, and then mom was dead beside them. So you could imagine walking over a hill and seeing these four bodies. Can you kind of walk through what was the first step that you do in, in that type of scene? So obviously the police was there as well, and, and together uh, we... Uh, cordoned off the area we got a, an area that we felt was our scene and then of course we always make it bigger than what we think so we don't mess up footprints we don't mess up things like that in this particular case a rainstorm was coming and uh, the dispatch told us it was going to be a pretty bad rainstorm so uh, we did put some temporary um, shelter tents over the bodies to try to preserve some some evidence there um on the bodies and once a once a storm passed um then we just started processing the scene one at a time photographing first everything gets photographed first and then you start one body at a time and start collecting evidence and and checking the bodies and things like that and when you're checking the bodies what are you looking for so there's an what we call an external body exam on the scene which is we go from head to heel and and what we're doing is we're looking for everything about that body we can find at the scene as far as so like i explained lividity is lividity in the right area? For instance, if this child was laying on her back, then the lividity should be on her back. If for some reason it's not, that means she's been moved. That's that's a, a clue that something is wrong. Um, you know, if we if we find a, what we think is a bullet hole, uh, do we find more than one? Uh, do we find puncture wounds like maybe someone injected her? Was she strangled? Uh, and we go we go all, from head to heel looking for anything about the body that could be. Uh, evidence, uh, maybe a fiber, maybe hair, maybe it was a sexual assault. There's a, uh, a pubic hair or, or any type of hair or fiber on the body that like, I don't know if it belongs there, but I'm going to collect it and find out later. If you don't do that on the ground with the victim at the scene, then it's very rare that it'll be ever collected at autopsy. So at this stage, your main mission is documenting and collecting evidence. Yes, documenting and collecting evidence. Yes, from the bodies and in the surrounding area. You know, people have heard about 
crime scene investigators. What's what's the distinction between at a scene like this, the role of the crime scene investigator versus the death investigator? So every state is pretty well the same. And the role is you think about it this way. The death investigator is in charge of the body and within a certain area around the body. And that's determined case by case. The crime scene investigator is the one, let's say, that's, in, that's going to be processing maybe the entire house, fingerprinting, points of entry, looking at uh, footprints, things like that. The entire house, let's say, if it's inside. The death investigator is more concerned with the body and the immediate three, four, five feet around the body. So in this particular case, after you've inspected and you've collected the evidence with each of the bodies, what happened after that? Oh, then each body, of course, is uh, put into a body bag. Um, of course, there's a proper way to do that with with sterile sheets and things like that to make sure that we, if we did miss any evidence, we try to preserve it we can. Uh, each bag is locked with a, a zipper lock, which has a number on it. That number will follow them all the way through to the autopsy. And then the bodies are removed from that area and taken for autopsy. Do you have a role after that step? So after the autopsy is done, the role of uh, the death investigator then is to get the uh, report back from the autopsy as to what the pathologist found was cause and manner. In this particular case, we know that the cause of death was a gunshot wound. We had not, we assumed it was homicide and hadn't ruled it yet, but we wanted to know trajectory and which, you know, which direction the bullet went and was there anything, other evidence, things like that. Wait on toxicology to see whether or not the child was drugged or anything like that. Well, once we get all of that, then we complete our investigation, complete our report, working side by side with the police. And what was the final outcome or or the determination in this case? Yeah, so all three children were uh, shot in the head, and so their cause of death was gunshot wound, but their um, manner of death was homicide. Uh, The mother also was a gunshot wound to the head, and her manner was suicide. What is the career path for somebody who's interested in going into death investigation? So each state, again, is a little different in this because you got coroners and you got medical examiners. But the, what I advise most people to do is if you're, if you're young and you're starting out college, then, then stay a little heavy on your anatomy and physiology. Take some criminal investigation courses, things like that. If you're a little older uh, and you're, you know, college is behind you and maybe you've got a family and a job and can't necessarily take off and go to college for four years, then start studying some A&P. Start taking some online courses of death investigation. Uh, start attending what, what courses you can take. And then also uh, see if you can volunteer or intern at a local funeral home, maybe and deal them with some some cadavers um, or at your coroner's office, a medical examiner. No sense in really going into a field until you know you can show up for four or five weeks in a row and deal with dead people. And once you can do that, then you can start taking some of these online courses and start trying to develop what state you're going to work in and work towards their requirements. And you host a podcast, Corner Talk. What topics do you deal with in your podcast? Yeah, so Corner Talk is a podcast that deals with Everything to do with the life and the job of a death investigator. So we may talk about the science of burned bodies where, you know, somebody's caught in a car and the body burns up. What happens to the body when we talk about toxicology? Uh, We also talk about how the job affects the family. Uh, We may even talk about finances. We talk about uh, some show may be on 
getting dealing with type A personalities at work. We try to develop a well-rounded investigator. Yes, we talk about scene work, but we also talk about um, the person's personal life as well. And you're also the lead instructor and facilitator for the Death Investigation Training Academy. What is that academy? Yeah, so Death Investigation Training Academy was developed for one purpose, and that was to train death investigators, uh, police, coroners, medical examiners. And uh, we're one of the largest um, academies dedicated just to death investigation. We don't we don't teach police on anything else other than death investigation, uh, both online and classroom. And, and we also have opportunities for you just ask about students. We also have opportunities for people who maybe are seeking the, a job in death investigation. They can take some of our courses, which are nationally recognized courses, may help them on a resume against someone who doesn't have any formal training. So what overall career advice would you have for somebody who's thinking, yeah, this is something interesting. I, I'm i not sure it's what I want to do, but I certainly would like to explore that career. Well, if, if they're thinking they want to explore their career, they've probably seen it on TV and think it's something that's neat. Um, only about 40 percent of what you see on TV is real. Uh, so... Uh, like I said before, the thing you need to probably uh, look at is is talk to people really in the industry. Um, send me an email. I get people all the time sending me an email asking me questions. That's fine. Uh, find somebody in your area. Ask them. But then I go back to what I said before. Find a way that you can volunteer around dead people, whether it be a funeral home, medical examiner, something. You've got to know. Don't worry about the first one. If you have the first one, you get queasy and have to walk out, no problem. If you're still getting queasy after the 10th one, not your job. So um, see if you can be around them. And if you can, hey, everything else is just education. Uh, that, that's the biggest key. Most people cannot work around dead people. If you can work around dead people, you're a shoe in. All you have to do is get some education. And it, working around dead people, is that something that you just you don't know until you actually give it a try? Um, certainly some people can tell you right now that ain't for me. I mean, there's a lot of cops out there that uh, even though they're police officers, great police officers, uh, they don't want to be around dead people. They just don't, uh, and that's fine. It's, but if you don't know for sure, then that may be a possibility. But, yeah, some some people get really freaked out by, by dead people. I don't understand it, but I, but I guess it is a real thing. Darren Dake, thank you for being on the Go Law Enforcement Podcast. Joe, I appreciate your time, and I appreciate what you do. I love your show, uh, and I love the, what you're bringing to uh, the community. If you're looking for a job in law enforcement, check out the largest listing of law enforcement jobs on golawenforcement.com. The requirements to be a police officer are different for every state. To find out if you meet the requirements to be a police officer in your state, take a short three-question quiz by going to golawenforcement.com forward slash quiz. That's golawenforcement.com forward slash quiz. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening.